This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa and on frequency nine six two five kilohertz on the thirty one meter band to Southern Africa. My name is Spumelele Zondi, and I'm with Asanda Mataunyane, Joala Netulo, and Musibudi Makura. Let's take a look at the top stories. An atmosphere of fear has engulfed South Sudan following the withdrawal of three thousand Ugandan troops. Republic of Congo citizens headed to the polls yesterday to cast their vote on a referendum that could see the country's long-time president become eligible for a new term in office. The World Health Organization has announced that bacon, sausages and other processed meats do cause cancer. In economic news, South Africa's telecommunications giant, MTN, has been fined $5.2 billion by the Nigerian regulator. And in sports, Springboks to play for the bronze medal against Argentina at the Rugby World Cup. It's time for your news. Here's Asanda Mataunyane. Good evening. Tanzania's opposition Chadema party says police have detained 40 of its volunteers <coughs> after a combined presidential and parliamentary election at the weekend. Another opposition party, the Civic United Front, has accused the police of firing tear gas at a crowd of supporters celebrating what the party said was its victory on the semi-autonomous island of Zanzibar. Official results are not expected out until later this week. Tanzania has been one of Africa's most stable democracies, although Zanzibar has often been a hot spot for tensions because of strong local opposition and loud Islamist and separatist voices. South Africa's Western Cape Health Department says breast cancer is one of the leading causes of death among women. Provincial Health Minister Noma French Mbombo today visited the Pink Drive Mobile Breast Clinic in Cape Town as part of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Head of the Ministry, Siviwe Gwarube, explains. The Western Cape Mortality Profile in 2012 reports that breast cancer is the eighth top cause of death amongst women in the province, with 768 women died as a result of breast cancer in that year. The message really this year was that if detected early and diagnosed early, then treatment may commence, and this can cut down on the mortality rate. The consumption of red meat and some processed meat causes cancer in human beings. That's according to the World Health Organization, which has just released a statement saying the consumption of processed meat causes colon, pancreatic and prostate cancers. Experts from the World Health Organization's Cancer Agency, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, have concluded their study on the matter. SABC Health journalist Tabilim Bele reports. According to the International Agency for Research on Cancer, the risk of developing colon cancer remains low, however it increases with the amount being consumed. Considering the large number of people who consume processed meat globally, the agency believes that the impact on the number of people who will get cancer is of public health importance. The world body therefore recommends limiting the intake of meat since it has nutritional value. In this context, red meat refers to all types of mammal muscle meat and processed meat refers to ham, sausages, corned beef and biltong among others. 
A referendum held in Congo Republic to decide whether the president can legally stand for a third consecutive term should be cancelled due to low turnout. An opposition boycott of Sunday's referendum means the country's veteran ruler, President Denis Sassou is likely to have one voter support, paving the way for him to run in an election next year and potentially extend his decades-long rule over the oil-producing Central African country. Sassou Nguesso ruled Congo from 1979 until 1992 when he was defeated in a presidential election. His rule resumed five years later after his forces defeated the then-president in a brief civil war. Finally, a powerful earthquake has struck a remote area of Afghanistan, killing at least 24 people, while 76 were killed in neighboring Pakistan. Officials say the death toll could climb in coming days because communications are down in much of the rugged Hindu Kush mountain range area where the quake was centered. In one of the worst incidents, at least 12 girls were killed in a stampede to get out of their school in the northeastern Afghan province of Takar. The U.S. Geological Survey initially measured the quake's intensity at 7.7, then revised it to 7.5. For Channel Africa News, I'm Asanda Masaunyane. Africa Digest. You're listening to Africa Digest. Seventeen oh five Central African Timeless starts in South Sudan where there's an atmosphere of fear following the withdrawal of three thousand Ugandan troops. The withdrawal from Africa's newest nation is in compliance with a peace agreement signed in August this year by President Salva Kiir and his principal political and military opponent Riyak Mashar. Here's James Shimanyula. The cloud of fear that is sweeping across South Sudan. It's centered on the fact that rebels led by Riek Machar may capitalize on the departure of Ugandan troops to capture strategic places that they were guarding since fighting erupted in the country on the 15th of December 2013 after President Salva Kiri claimed that Machar and 11 prominent politicians had plotted to bring down the Juba government. The pivotal role played by Ugandan troops in keeping rebels at bay while they were guarding strategic places in the country was highly appreciated, especially in Ibor, the capital of Yonglei, the largest of the country's ten states. One of the memorable moments of appreciation was witnessed in Bor, the capital of Jonglei, when hundreds of Ugandan troops were given a warm send-off, complete with the military trumpeting as soldiers of South Sudan People's Liberation Army, SPLA, sang patriotic songs. No! No! As the sound of trumpeting send off died down, the commander of Ugandan troops in South Sudan, Brigadier General Mohanga Kayanja, was proud to salute his soldiers for the good job they had done while in South Sudan. We came here in support of the SPLA and I think we have scored in many areas. One of the areas where we have scored together 
is in the area of security of the people of South Sudan. By the time we came here when the rebels were advancing, there were a lot of killings by the rebels wherever they would pass. The importance of the pivotal role that Ugandan troops played in South Sudan was underscored by the Juba government's defense minister, Kuolo Manyang Juk, when he said... Many people would have, would have died, would have been killed, and many people would have sent, been sent to destitution. And therefore, the population of Juba at that time would have all been in Uganda. They would have gone to Uganda as refugees, straining the resources of Uganda and creating insecurity to Uganda. South Sudan Defense Minister Kuolo Manyangajuk also made it clear that the departure of Ugandan troops is in compliance with the peace agreement that President Salva Kiir signed with rebel leader Riek Machar in August this year. President Salva Kiir signed the agreement for the resolution of conflict in South Sudan. It was signed also before by Dr. Riek Machar and we are here on the process of implementing the resolutions of that of the peace agreement. One, one of the resolutions called for the UPDF to withdraw from Juba, from Bor, from South Sudan. UPDF that South Sudan Defense Minister Kuala Manyanga Duke is referring to is Uganda People's Defense Force. As has been said at the outset, UPDF forces have been helping South Sudan troops to prevent rebels from taking control of strategic places in Africa's newest nation. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Republic of Congo citizens be headed rather headed to the polls yesterday to cast their votes on a referendum that could see the country's long-time president become eligible for a new term in office. Under current laws, the 71-year-old President Denis Sasungwesu is barred from seeking re-election when his second term expires next year. The referendum asked the voters to consider scrapping a two-term limit and 70 years age limit for the candidates. Ngwesu, who has led the small Central African nation in different capacities for more than 30 years since the 1970s has already served two consecutive seven-year terms. Stephanie Walters, Programs Manager of the Conflict Prevention and Risk Analysis Program at the South African Institute for Security Studies, tells us more. Well, it's really crucial because it, it, it kind of sets the stage for the next uh, state of democracy in, in the Congo Republic. I mean, the constitution that, is, that has been in existence now has only been there since 2002, and that itself is a post-conflict tra- uh, constitution, which was voted by a referendum after many years of conflict in the Republic of Congo. And there is a real sense that this, this new constitution is really only being submitted to a referendum, is really only being motivated by precisely what you said in your introduction, which mm-hmm. is an extension of term limits and also an extension of the age of eligibility for a presidential candidate. Now, Stephanie, opposition leaders had initially called for a boycott after a number of protesters had died during clashes with security forces ahead of this referendum. Now, should it pass, what sort of implications will it have? Well, if it passes, I think one of the key problems is going to be that there will be very little credibility of whatever government comes out of the elections next mm-hmm. year. Uh, we've seen um, initial reports are indicating that there's an extremely low turnout. Now, that is probably partially because of the boycott, the call for a boycott, but also because of the insecurity that you saw in Brazzaville in the course of last week. But whatever emerges from this, if it is a yes vote for a new constitution, I think we're going to 
see further political contestation. There will be no kind of political consensus between the opposition and the ruling party going forward. And that is a very uh, bad precedent for the coming years. Now, in your view, uh, just before we let you go, um, what sort of advances have been attained in Congo Brazzaville um, uh, since, um, or, or rather under President um, Ngueso? Well, to be honest, not very much if you're an mm. average citizen. I mean, Congo has always been an oil-rich country and has built uh, much of its economy on that, but it's always been an issue that that hasn't really trickled down to, to most uh, citizens in, in, in the Republic of Congo. Obviously, uh, t- you know, 10-plus years of stability is already in and of itself an important uh, important gain. Mm. But I think that we could see perhaps backsliding after this, this coming, um, this particular referendum, if political opposition, which emerged from armed groups in the last war basically decides that there is no room for democratic contestation and that, you know, it, when it comes to elections, when it comes to things like the Constitution, the ruling party and Sasu Nguesu in particular are willing to change the rules at all costs. Mm. So a, a very difficult future ahead for the Republic of Congo, I would say. Mm. And just to, just to follow up, just before we let you go, um, it's an ongoing question, but I mean, um, it's a trend that we see on the African continent of um, leaders who are almost clinging to power. What can be the solution to this, Stephanie, in your, in your view? Well, you know, the African Union has the tools to address precisely these types of power grabs, if you want mm-hmm. to see it as that. And in fact, it has a particular clause from 2007 that, that says that manipulation of constitutions or national legislation in order to allow the incumbent to stay mm-hmm. in power is a sanctionable offense. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen in Burundi what kind of instability this sort of issue causes. We're seeing it in Congo-Brazzaville. We've yeah. started to see it in the, in, in the neighboring Democratic Republic of Congo. And the real concern, of course, is instability in countries that are just emerging from, from a transition anyway. And I think that the African Union really needs to take this issue seriously, think about whether or not it wants to be consistent uh, across these types of bids. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. For Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You still listen to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Spomela Lezonde, and I'm going to be with you until 1800 hours Central African time this evening. That's 1800 hours. You can find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. The Deputy Special Representative of the United Nations Secretary General in the Democratic Republic of Congo has called on both of the United Nations and its member states to have a better engagement for the future. Dr. Mamadou Diallo, who's also the humanitarian coordinator in that country made such a statement in Kinshasa as the world celebrated the 70th anniversary of the United Nations Charter on Saturday. Jean-Noël Bamwenze is in Kinshasa.
The UN anniversary celebration brought together hundreds of people here in Kinshasa. This happened just a day before the official celebration on Saturday. Among the people who have come together to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the United Nations Charter were different personalities, including members of the Congolese government, those of the country national army and police, some ambassadors and of course representatives of the UN system. The United Nations system here in the Democratic Republic of Congo is made of the UN peacekeeping mission and 22 UN agencies, funds and programs working in different sectors such as humanitarian, development, health, human rights, agriculture and food and so on. This year's United Nations Day has had something special after 70 years of creation, according to the deputy specially representative of the UN Secretary General here in the DRC, Dr. Mamadou Diallo, who is also the UN Humanitarian Coordinator, has sent a call for both the UN and its member states, although he has expressed the satisfaction after 70 years of the organization's existence. Satisfaction and also a call for better engagement between the United Nations and the member, member states to try to shape a future in which we all have a stake. A future that our children can look forward to and live in a place where there is peace, security, equal opportunity and the opportunity to live a better life. The United Nations system has served humanity for seven decades, but we have now new challenges in the 21st century. We have new issues confronting our world and our planet that need to be discussed, and the United Nations is the best place to take that discussions forward. Four days before the official celebration, the UN System Communication Group brought together more than 90 journalists from different media, both national and international, based here in Kinshasa, the capital city of the Democratic Republic of Congo. The meeting aimed to allow journalists understanding how the United Nations system works, what they have done here, and what are the different challenges both the UN peacekeeping mission and the 22 agencies, funds and programs are facing in this country. And indeed, the meeting between members of the United Nations Communication Group and journalists took a whole day and ended on a note of satisfaction for the participants from different media. Jean-Noël Bamwezi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kulitranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lilian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You still listen to Africa Digest with Ms. Pumela Lezonde. I'm going to be with you until 1800 hours Central African time this evening. Now, five days of sectarian violence that gripped the capital of the Central African Republic, Bangui, between September and October this year, led to at least 31 targeted killings of civilians. Based on interviews in Bangui conducted with witnesses, Human Rights Watch found that at least 31 civilians were shot at point blank or stabbed to death or their throats were slit. The vast majority of killings were by armed members of Muslim self-defense groups, although armed members of the mostly Christian and animist anti-Balaka group also incited and participated in the violence. In June this year, Transitional President Catherine Sambapanza approved a law creating a special criminal court within the national justice system, which will focus on grave international crimes and will include both national and international judges and prosecutors. We asked Louis much a researcher in the Africa division at the Human Rights Watch focusing on the Central African Republic if this court will be able to function effectively in the prevailing atmosphere. I don't think it's going to be possible to have completely peaceful, free and fair elections. However, the elections are going to happen. In my conversations in Bangui with every major player, they assure me these elections are happening. 
the head of the National Electoral Commission resigned about 10 days ago. The president of this commission resigned because he said this is completely untenable. They're basically asking us to do the impossible, so he stepped down, which is a real reflection as to how difficult the job is going to be. You're talking about a country that's the size of France. You're talking about a country with only a few hundred kilometers of paved roads, and half of the country has been claimed by the Seleka in the eastern part of the, the country. It's controlled by warlords. In the west, where there's more stability, there is still a huge presence of armed anti-Balaka fighters. And we're also dealing with 400,000 internally displaced and another 400,000 refugees outside. So these are massive, massive challenges. Nobody is going to tell you the election is going to be perfect. And at Human Rights Watch, we don't really have a position as to how they should move forward. I personally think it's way too soon. I think it's completely unrealistic. But on the other hand, international donors, such as the World Bank, such as the IMF, such as the European Union and the French, who float this transitional government, are insisting that this not just be a perpetual transition. The transition has to end, and there has to be some legitimate government with which they can do business with. So it's going to happen. It'll probably get pushed back until January. The second round will be in January 2016. And they will be very, very imperfect. But they will be elections. And I imagine whoever wins as the executive will be recognized uh, in the, by the broader international community as the head of state. Now, the International Criminal Court opened an investigation in the Central African Republic last year. And... Prosecutor Fatou Bensouda warned that those who commit crimes within the court's jurisdiction can be held individually accountable. Now, how will those responsible for the chaos and the violence in Central African Republic be identified? Well, I think, I think what, what Fatou Bensouda has announced is, is really positive. And I've seen firsthand on the ground Seleka warlords, anti-Balaka warlords, who fear the International Criminal Court. The ICC is having a really good and positive effect in terms of preventing violence in that regard. To your question as to how the, the, the big fish are going to be identified, we know who these people are. We know who the people in the Bozizi, the former Bozizi regime are who are coordinating the anti-Balaka. We know who the Seleka are. The ICC has started their investigations. But we have to remember the ICC is more than likely only going to go after two or three individuals. They don't have the capacity to go after many more. What's interesting, and which is one of the really positive things that the Samba Ponza government has done, is that they have put in place a special criminal court, which will be composed of both national and international judges and prosecutors. And this court is going to have the mandate to go after other serious crimes committed in the country over the last few years. And this is going to go after not the biggest fish, so not the heads of groups, but the commanders, the people who commanded massacres, the people who, who, who knew that their soldiers were raping and allowed it to happen, the commanders who allowed looting and pillaging to happen under their watch and who helped to bring things out of the country that they'd looted. Um, and this court is going to be going after those individuals. They're known, for the moment, they're, half of these guys are Seleka guys who are sitting in territory that's been carved out. And once this court gets up and running and once the, the United Nations police section of the peacekeeping mission coordinates with the national government, there is space for optimism to think that some of these individuals could be uh, brought before the bar. And speaking about this special criminal court, apparently the authorities in the Central African Republic and the UN have started preparations to establish this court. But will this court be able to function effectively in this prevailing atmosphere? 
It's going to be a huge problem, and one of the problems we're already seeing is within the national institutions that are functioning is issues around intimidation of judges and issues around witness protection. You know, this special criminal court's going to need a lot of money, it's going to need a lot of resources, and individuals in the international community, such as the United States, which has some experience with this, is going to have to help with protection as well, because these armed actors are not going to like the fact that some of their commanders are being hauled in front of a court in Bangui, and they're going to do whatever they can to try to prevent these procedures from happening, which will include intimidation. So that's one of the things I'm most concerned about, is that judges you know, whose addresses are known, prosecutors whose addresses are known, and witnesses who stand up before the bar could be put under pressure. But I also will say is that many individuals who follow issues around justice, issues around transitional justice, they are very excited by this tribunal, this court that's been set up. And this is really an experiment for Africa. I think everyone agrees, even individuals like myself who, who are for the ICC, everyone agrees that the ICC is incredibly cumbersome and incredibly expensive and it just takes forever. And it would be great if national systems could be created that could get prosecutions or at least get trials running a lot quicker to really demonstrate to potential further political spoilers or armed combatants that the days of impunity have finally ended. And so there is still room for a lot of optimism around this court in that regard. That's Louis March. He is a researcher in the Africa Division at Human Rights Watch, focusing on the Central African Republic. And he is in Nairobi in Kenya, and he was speaking to Jose Khotengake. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. NSM for News Headlines, here's Asanda Matsonyan. Good evening. Tanzania's opposition Kadema Party says police have detained 40 of its volunteers after a combined presidential and parliamentary election at the weekend. 
The consumption of red meat and some processed meat causes cancer in human beings. That's according to the World Health Organization. And a powerful earthquake has struck a remote area of Afghanistan, killing at least 24 people, while 76 were killed in neighboring Pakistan. Your news headlines here on Channel Africa. Thank you very much, Asanda, for that update. Info at channelafrica.co.za. Info at channelafrica.co.za. Fans to give us any feedback. Or you can find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa 1 over there. The program you're listening to is Africa Digest with Ms. Pumela Lezondi. I'm going to be with you until 1800 hours Central African time. Now, the 16th annual South Africa Heart Congress is underway in the country's northwest province. The four-day event, which kicked off yesterday, is this year held under the theme Hearts Inside. It aims to provide specialists the opportunity to examine issues and exchange ideas and clinical knowledge in the treatment of cardiovascular diseases in Africa. We are now joined on the line by Professor Francis Smith, who is the chairperson of the Congress. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, Professor. Good afternoon. Thank you for talking to us. Uh, Professor Hart's insight. Um, why that theme? Well, this year is a scientific program is focused on addressing cardiovascular treatment in Africa. Uh, we have strong plenary sessions on ethics, uh, the topics of the public and private sector. We are training a future cardiac practitioner in South Africa. We've had a look at the state of the nation, state of uh, activities within the African continent, and also development of cardiac service to the public in general. I think it's well known fact that non-communicable disease is becoming a more important uh, a cause of death and of non-communicable disease. Uh, cardiac deaths are expected to become the most important cause of death in Africa and in the developing world in the near future, future and that should be around about 2030. Mm. Um, are you also discussing interventions and prevention methods as well? Yeah, the, 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 the conference has a, a component, a surgical component, an adult cardiology, pediatric cardiology, and pediatric cardiac surgery component, and it also caters for allied health uh, services like the nurses and people working as cardiac technologists in both the cath labs and in the operating theatres. So it really covers a wide spectrum. We also have a day focused on training of GPs in heart failure, which was presented as a special session on Sunday. Mm. Um, why are you looking at Africa in particular? Is there a difference um, in what causes cardiovascular diseases in Africa as opposed to other continents? Well, cardiac disease in Africa, uh, if you look at it, you have to just define what we're talking about. The incidence of congenital heart disease is exactly the same as in the rest of the world, but the service provision, both diagnostic and service and and procedural services available to these kids are very different because of economic constraints within the African continent. If we look at risk factors in terms of coronary artery disease and the development of vascular disease, they're basically the same all over the world. And as Africans become more affluent, <laughs> certainly we are seeing a rise in uh, atherosclerotic disease with coronary artery disease, um, basically associated with type 2 diabetes, hypertension, uh, and uh, smoke. And also lifestyle changes associated with rapid uh, and uh, 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 quite a large percentage of uh, people who are urbanized as opposed to rural living. Mm. Um, and we often hear that South Africa is worse than the rest of the Af- African continents. Is this correct? 
Uh, just say that again, I missed that. I'm saying we often hear that um, South Africa is worse than the African continent when it comes to cardiovascular diseases. Is this correct? Well, I think that uh, we are just leading the, the, the coronary artery disease epidemic uh, amongst uh, local Africans. Uh, in fact, our rheumatic heart disease seems to be on a decline, and uh, the congenital disease is the same. But I think uh, as we go through these epidemiological changes, we're just leading the pack. Uh, and as the middle-class population in Africa develops, and uh, they have changed from about 127 million in the late 1990s to over 350 million uh, at the moment, we can expect a rapid rise in uh, coronary artery disease. The challenge is, of course, to try and prevent this massive influx. Mm. Um, what do you hope the delegates at the conference will take away from it, Professor? Well, I think that uh, we ha- hopefully we will have a better understanding of cardiac disease within society and within the African continent. Uh, we have focus sessions on diagnostics and therapeutic interventions, which should uh, be enriching for practitioners in the field. And also we really try and put in a big, uh, a big effort Uh, to try and get uh, collegial meetings between the different disciplines going. So hopefully people will leave with new knowledge, friends, and also a better understanding of our continent Mm. and cardiovascular disease in it. Mm -hmm. A bigger, you're saying you're hoping that people will leave with a a bigger understanding, but do we have enough specialists that can deal with these diseases in Africa? Well, part of the problem is that we are grossly undersupplied we're looking uh, at about uh, uh, one cardiologist, adult cardiologist per million of population, as well as one surgeon per million, which is really about a tenfold uh, ask in terms of what we should be producing in the same uh, appliance in pediatric cardiology. But it is sort of a twofold problem. The one thing is that we have to produce uh, uh, specialists in this field. We can then advise and treat uh, uh, people on the, in this continent. But it's also a question of funding, which is uh, basically determining the availability of services and training opportunities, which then basically goes back to national health funding projects by governments by and large, and investment in training and services of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully that does improve, uh, Professor Francis Smith. Yeah, thanks very much, and uh, thanks for joining us. Right. That is Professor Francis Smith. He is the chairperson of the 16th Annual South African Hearts Congress. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's been a year since the passing of the former national team goalkeeper in South Africa, Senzo Meiwa. However, the murder mystery remains unsolved. Meiwa was shot and killed during a robbery in Fosloros, east of Johannesburg, in October last year. He was with his girlfriend, Kelly Kumalo, and some friends at the time of the tragic incident. Despite police saying there were a number of leads, there have been no arrests since then. Pel Makubane compiled this report. Great save from the Ewa, just turns it away. 
Under pressure now, Klaxwayo. Young, driven, and exceptionally gifted soccer star, Senzo Meiwa was the goalkeeper and captain of the Orlando Pirates soccer team. He was also the captain of the national team. Meiwa said his dream was to have longevity in his soccer career. He's only let one goal in. You know, as a keeper, you want to do your best. Uh, want to keep the clean sheet, but it's something that you, can, you won't control it. It will depend during the game, but as a player, individually, and every player in football want to make sure that when he gets an opportunity, he do his best. For me, I want to see myself be one of the best keepers in Africa. You know, there's the chance if I'm giving the opportunity tomorrow, I want to fight and see myself going to Morocco next year. Yeah. World Cup is a dream for each and every player in the world, yeah. playing the World Cup. However, the World Cup dream was not realized. On the 26th of October 2014, Meiwa was shot and killed during a robbery. South Africans woke up to the news the next morning that the soccer star was no more. Bafana Bafana captain Senzo Meiwa has been shot dead. Police say the 27-year-old goalkeeper was shot last night during a burglary at a house in Fosleris. They say three men entered the house and one of them demanded Meiwa's phone. There was an altercation and a shot was fired. Police said it wasn't a hit. Meiwa was shot dead while visiting his girlfriend Songbird Kelu Kumalo at a mother's house in Fosleris Agoraleni the Sunday night. His killers then fled with the cell phone. A reward was immediately offered for the information leading to the suspects responsible, police spokesperson Neville Malila. We have offered the reward of up to 150,000 rand for any information that could lead to the arrest and successful prosecution of the suspects. And we are appealing to the community to help and assist us in this investigation and come forward with any information. And they can contact our crime stop number, which is 0800-1811. Shock over the murder of Meiwa continued. A massive police investigation was underway. Mayua's killers were amongst the most wanted men in the country. A multidisciplinary task team was deployed to hunt and bring the criminals to book. Then the SAPS raised the reward to 250,000 rand. South African Football Association President Denis Jordan called for a new gun law to be introduced in honor of Mayua. We should charter the Senzo Mahiwe gun law. And that gun law must take all the unlicensed and illegal firearms off the streets. And we must take those guns to the furnace and build a statue for Senzo Mohiwa. Family members, friends and the sporting fraternity gathered at the Moses Mabita Stadium to bid a solemn farewell to the soccer captain. <laughs> He was laid to rest at Hero's Acre at the Chesterville Cemetery, west of Durban. The sown is perishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. The family had hired a private investigating team soon after his death to help track down the killers. Forensic experts compiled identicates of the shooters and crime intelligence were in search of the cell phone stolen from the house. Information that accompanied the identicates stated that the attackers were in their late 20s and the other was dark and slender with dreadlocks. A year later, the police are still singing the same tune. Police spokesperson Solomon Mohale. The investigation is progressing. We continue to receive 
information from uh, a number of people about what could have transpired that day. We are following up all the leads that we have, and uh, that's going to continue until such time that we find the killers of Senzumeni. The family of the former Orlando Pirates and Bafana Bafana captain says they are considering approaching the National Police Commissioner in relation to the death of their son. His father, Sam, says the family is waiting to perform a traditional ritual for their son. He says the family is distraught and police are no longer making contact to inform them about progress of the case. As the Meiwa family battles to raise funds for the traditional cleansing ceremony, the fact that his killers are still free brings them little comfort. Paul Magoban at Johannesburg. 17.44 Central African Time. Hey, here's Joella Natula with your economic news. Thank you, Spumalele. Good evening. South Africa's telecommunication giant MTN has confirmed that it was fined $5.2 billion by the Nigerian regulator for failing to disconnect subscribers with unregistered and incomplete SIM cards at its unit in the country. Shares in MTN extended their losses to more than 10%. MTN last week reported a slowdown in quarterly subscriber growth on last week, citing stiff competition and tougher regulation in Nigeria. Nigeria contributes around a third of MTN sales and is the company's largest market. A credit downgrade looms for South Africa as investors bid cuts that would bring the nation's rating to the brink of junk. South African Finance Minister Ntlantlandene sidestepped an immediate credit downgrade with his mini-budget proposals. However, Fitch Ratings and Moody's Investor Service, which rate the nation's debt, are set to bring their assessments in line with Standard & Poor's at the lowest investment grade level. Another step down would start triggering capital outflows. South Africa relies on portfolio inflows to finance a current account shortfall forecast to average at 4.3% of gross domestic product. Weakening tax revenue is also putting pressure on the budget deficit. Government debt will reach almost 50% of GDP this year. Nigeria's financial regulator has ordered Stanbank IBTC to to restate its 2013 and 2014 accounts over misleading disclosures. This relates to expenses and franchise fees owed to its parent firm, South Africa's Standard Bank. The Financial Reporting Council said Stanbank had another operating expenses category in its accounts for financial years 2011 to 2014, in which expense items were not properly disclosed. Cameroon's Cameroon's inflation rate rose to 3.4% in the first half of the year. This is due to increased transport costs and the impact of the country's fight against Boko Haram. Transport rose 14.5%, 5.2% for restaurants and hotels, while alcohol and tobacco rose 4.1%. Cameroon is participating in a regional task force led by neighboring Nigeria against the group. Last month, the International Monetary Fund Fund revised Cameroon's 2015 growth forecast up to 6%.
And finally, the Durban Chamber of Commerce says there's a potential for oil and gas exploration in certain parts of South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province. The chamber hosted a forum with the business sector to discuss an application for a major exploration project in the province. The chamber's in Jabulam Simang. There's potential for oil and gas according to those various mechanisms that they use. So it's not a given that there will be definitely be oil and gas, but there's been potential areas that have been identified within KZN that there might be um, deposits of oil and gas within the ground. So it's only upon further investigations as to whether there will be any amount of oil and gas within the risk the grounds that they're exploring. With the amount of electricity, if I could say, is giving us the shortage with the load shedding and everything, the gas deposits within the ground there might be possibility that the gas will supplement electricity and the oil for power generation within the country itself. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana, reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Same for sports news, here's Masibudi Makura. Good evening sports fans and starting off with rugby news. The South African Springboks team may have failed to win the World Cup but there is still a lot of pride in the green and gold jersey. The South Africans do not regard the bronze playoff against Argentina on Friday as a meaningless match. Both teams are still licking their wounds after the losses in the semi-finals. The box went down narrowly 2018 to the All Blacks on Saturday while the Pumas first ever final hopes were dashed by 29 points to 15 by Australia a day later. Veteran forward Victor Matfield says they would like to end their campaign on a high note. It's never a meaningless game when you put on the Springbok jersey but um, again it's, I think we'll have a good break this next two days and then coach already said we'll get together on Wednesday. I think there's quite a few guys that would be their last outing on the Springbok jersey so we would definitely like to make that special uh, make a good last game for a few of us and um, yeah, just for that young guys, whoever we play, I think people, we need to start getting teams to fear the Springboks again. 
Meanwhile, Springbok team Dr. Greg Roberts has given the Springboks clean bill of health after the Rugby World Cup semi-final defeat against the All Blacks. Springbok captain Fouri Dupree had had has had an X-ray done to his to rather see the damage on his cheekbone, and Roberts says there isn't much fracture. Roberts is confident all players will be available for selection for Friday's third and fourth playoff match. Liberia Football Association President Musa Beliti says his campaign team has successfully submitted his candidacy to FIFA to stand in February's presidential elections. The 48-year-old campaign manager Edwin Eswene met with FIFA's acting Secretary General Marcus Kanta on Monday morning at the World Governing Body's headquarters in Zurich. Beliti has received the backing of the five member associations necessary to stand, which have been passed on to FIFA's Electoral Committee. Belletti is the only second African to formally stand for the FIFA presidency after reigning Confederation of African Football President Issa Hayetu, currently the acting FIFA president given Sir Blatter's suspension, tried and failed back in 2002. On Saturday, South Africa's Tokyo Sahuale announced his bid to run, but it is but it is unclear whether he has the backing of the five nominations needed. This is also the situation with former Nigerian international Sagun Obdegame, who made his intentions known last month. Musabiliti joins Prince Ali bin Ahussein of Jordan, former Trinidad and Tobago international David Nakide, one-time FIFA Deputy Secretary General Jerome Champagne and Michel Platini in registering for February's elections. Meanwhile, UEFA have confirmed that General Secretary Giovanni Infanetto will stand as a candidate for the upcoming FIFA elections. Well, South Africa's under-20 women's team was beaten 2-1 by the Nigerian counterparts in the first leg of the 2016 FIFA under-20 women's World Cup qualifier on Saturday in Abuja, Nigeria. The Falconets scored their first goal of the match in the 27th minute by Ganu Grace, while Kalu Patience netted the second goal in the 45th minute. Basisana responded by converting a penalty in the last minute of the game. SABC football analyst Lydia Munyabao says it was important for Basisana to get the vital award. We go. You know what? I'm happy with the result um, that we got. You know, especially the away goal. Um, it gives us a good chance. I mean, the second leg um, with us expecting Nigeria to come for the return match at Makuza Stadium on the 7th of November. So at least you know the, the the pressure is less. All we have to do is say one or more goals for us to advance. You know, I'm happy with the with the with the effort that the girls put forward. I mean, you, if you can remember, we went to Nigeria last year and then we lost six 0 to them. And it was a, a very difficult task, you know, when they came here for the second leg because we couldn't cover the six mil, you know. But now with a 2-1 um, loss to Nigeria, um, it, it, it makes life much easier for us. So I'm happy with that. And finally, in hockey news, South Africa's women's hockey team will be in action against Namibia in their second match at the ongoing Greenfields Africa Hockey Championship in Brandenburg in Johannesburg on Monday night. South Africa, who are the defending champions, defeated Nigeria 50-0 in the first match this past weekend. The championship serves as a qualifier for next year's Olympics in Rio. Brazil, Sheldon Rostron, the head coach of the South African women's team, says they are looking forward to a positive result tonight. I think... Um We've, we've been hunting to try and be consistent, and that's something that we want to do in every event that we take on. So it's definitely going to be about um, ensuring that, um, you know, both technically, tactically, physically, everything comes together to, to make sure that we stay consistent and, and, and uh, can push for another good result.
The Zaya Sports News at the Sour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest. Let's recap out of stories. An atmosphere of fear has engulfed South Sudan following the withdrawal of 3,000 Ugandan troops. Republic of Congo citizens headed to the polls yesterday to cast their vote on a referendum that could see the country's long-time president become eligible for a new term in office. The World Health Organization has announced that bacon, sausages and other processed meat do cause cancer. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spumela Lezondi, producer Tracy Pumgard, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim and the rest of the team. Thank you for listening. Send us emails, info at channelafrica.co.za, info at channelafrica.co.za. On SMS, we're on plus 27823325905, plus 27823325905. We leave you with DJ Denizi.
collide. I hear silent whispers of echoes in the deep, deep, deep side of my heart. Piano after sex. As I take off your clothes like pages of my notepad. Your skin like red roses having a perfect scent. Me breathing down your neck like a ghost on a frosty street. One night stands and love at first sight is what, is what I understand. And I can't explain what happens after that. Because it scatters my brain and pattern and, and my heartbeat gets too confused and provoking and scares me to death because I know what it means. Like poetry, it paints pictures with sounds of melodic persuasion that sparks infatuation and 